Section thirty five. The appendices to Herndon's Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Mary Schneider. Herndon's Lincoln by William H. Herndon and Jesse William Wake. Section thirty five. Appendix. Unpublished family letters the following letters by mr lincoln to his relatives were at one time placed in my hands as they have never before been published entire i have thought proper to append them here they are only interesting as showing mr lincoln's affection for his father and stepmother and as a specimen of the good sound sense with which he approached every undertaking the list opens with a letter to his father written from washington while a member of congress washington december twenty fourth eighteen forty eight my dear father your letter of the seventh was received night before last i very cheerfully send you the twenty dollars which some you say is necessary to save your land from sale it is singular that you should have forgotten a judgment against you and it is more singular that the plaintiff should have let you forget it so long particularly as i suppose you have always had property enough to satisfy a judgment of that amount before you pay it it would be well to be sure that you have not paid or at least that you cannot prove that you have paid give my love to mother and all the connections affectionately your son a lincoln his stepbrother john d johnston for whom mr lincoln always exhibited the affection of a real brother was the recipient of many letters some of them were commonplace but between the lines of each much good homely philosophy may be read johnston whom i knew was exactly what his distinguished stepbrother charged an idler in every emergency he seemed to fall back on lincoln for assistance the aid generally came but with it always some plain but sensible suggestion the series opens as follows springfield february twenty third eighteen fifty dear brother your letter about a mail contract was received yesterday i have made out a bid for you at a hundred twenty dollars guaranteed it myself got our p m here to certify it and send it on your former letter concerning some man's claim for a pension was also received i had the claim examined by those who are practiced in such matters and they decide he cannot get a pension as you make no mention of it i suppose you had not learned that we lost our little boy he was sick fifteen days and died in the morning of the first day of this month it was not our first but our second child we miss him very much your brother in haste a lincoln following is another which however bears no date dear johnston your request for eighty dollars i do not think it best to comply with now at the various times when i have helped you a little you have said to me we can get along very well now but in a very short time i find you in the same difficulty again now this can only happen by some defect in your conduct what the defect is i think i know you are not lazy and still you are an idler i doubt whether since i saw you you have done a good whole day's work in one day you do not very much dislike to work and still you do not work much 
merely because it does not seem to you that you could get much for it the habit of uselessly wasting time is the whole difficulty and it is vastly important to you and still more so to your children that you break the habit it is more important to them because they have longer to live and can keep out of an idle habit before they are in it easier than they can get out after they are in you are in need of some ready money and what i propose is that you shall go to work tooth and nail for somebody who will give you money for it let father and your brothers take charge of things at home prepare for a crop and make the crop and you go to work for the best money wages or in discharge of any debt you owe that you can get and to secure you a fair reward for your labor i now promise you that for every dollar you will between this and the first of next may get from your own labor either in money or as your own indebtedness i will then give you one other dollar by this if you hire yourself at ten dollars a month from me you will get ten more making twenty dollars a month for your work in this i do not mean you shall go off to st louis or the lead mines or the gold mines in california but i mean for you to go at it for the best wages you can get close to home in coles county now if you will do this you will soon be out of debt and what is better you will have a habit that will keep you from getting in debt again but if i should now clear you out next year you would be just as deep in as ever you say you would give your place in heaven for seventy dollars or eighty dollars then you value your place in heaven very cheap for i am sure you can with the offer i make get the seventy or eighty dollars for four or five months work you say if i will furnish you the money you will deed me the land and if you don't pay the money back you will deliver possession nonsense if you can't now live with the land how will you then live without it you have always been kind to me and i do not mean to be unkind to you on the contrary if you will but follow my advice you will find it worth more than eight times eighty dollars to you affectionately your brother a lincoln the following written when the limit of thomas lincoln's life seemed rapidly approaching shows in what esteem his son held the relation that existed between them springfield january twelfth eighteen fifty one dear brother on the day before yesterday i received a letter from harriet written at greenup she says she has just returned from your house and that father is very low and will hardly recover she also says that you have written me two letters and that though you do not expect me to come now you wonder that i do not write i received both your letters and although i have not answered them it is not because i have forgotten them or not been interested about them but because it appeared to me i could write nothing which could do any good you already know i desire that neither father or mother shall be in want of any comfort either in health or sickness while they live and i feel sure that you have not failed to use my name if necessary to procure a doctor or anything else for father in his present sickness my business is such that i could hardly leave home now if it were not as it is that my own wife is sick abed it is a case of baby sickness and i suppose is not dangerous i sincerely hope father may yet recover his health 
but at all events tell him to remember to call upon and confide in our great and good and merciful maker who will not turn away from him in any extremity he notes the fall of a sparrow and numbers the hairs of our heads and he will not forget the dying man who puts his trust in him say to him that if we could meet now it is doubtful whether it would not be more painful than pleasant but that if it be his lot to go now he will soon have a joyous meeting with many loved ones gone before and where the rest of us through the help of god hope ere long to join them write me again when you receive this affectionately a lincoln lincoln's mentor-like interest in his stepmother and his shiftless and almost unfortunate stepbrother was nowise diminished by the death of his father he writes springfield august thirty first eighteen fifty one dear brother enclosed is the deed for the land we are all well and have nothing in the way of news we have had no cholera here for about two weeks give my love to all and especially to mother yours as ever a lincoln no more practical or kindly earnest advice could have been given than this shelbyville november fourth eighteen fifty one dear brother when i came into charleston day before yesterday i learned that you are anxious to sell the land where you live and move to missouri i have been thinking of this ever since and cannot but think such a notion is utterly foolish what can you do in missouri better than here is the land richer can you there any more than here raise corn and wheat and oats without work will anybody there any more than here do your work for you if you intend to go to work there is no better place than right where you are if you do not intend to go to work you cannot get along anywhere squirming and crawling about from place to place can do no good you have raised no crop this year and what you really want is to sell the land get the money and spend it part with the land you have and my life upon it you will never after own a spot big enough to bury you in half you will get for the land you spend in moving to missouri and the other half you will eat and drink and wear out and no foot of land will be bought now i feel it is my duty to have no hand in such a piece of foolery i feel that it is so even on your own account and particularly on mother's account the eastern forty acres i intend to keep for mother while she lives if you will not cultivate it it will rent for enough to support her at least it will rent for something her dower in the other two forties she can let you have and no thanks to me now do not misunderstand this letter i do not write it in any unkindness i write it in order if possible to get you to face the truth which truth is you are destitute because you have idled away all your time your thousand pretenses for not getting along better are all nonsense they deceive nobody but yourself go to work is the only cure for your case a word for mother chapman tells me he wants you to go and live with him if i were you i would try it a while if you get tired of it as i think you will not you can return to your own home chapman feels very kindly to you and i have no doubt he will make your situation very pleasant sincerely your son a lincoln the list closes with this one written by lincoln while on the circuit 
shelbyville november ninth eighteen fifty one dear brother when i wrote you before i had not received your letter i still think as i did but if the land can be sold so that i get three hundred dollars to put to interest for mother i will not object if she does not but before i will make the deed the money must be had or secured beyond all doubt at ten per cent as to abraham i do not want him on my own account but i understand he wants to live with me so that he can go to school and get a fair start in the world which i very much wish him to have when i reach home if i can make it convenient to take i will take him provided there is no mistake between us as to the object and terms of my taking him in haste as ever a lincoln appendix an incident on the circuit a statement from george w minier april tenth eighteen eighty two in the spring term of the taswell county court in eighteen forty seven which at that time was held in the village of tremont i was detained as a witness an entire week lincoln was employed in several suits and among them was one of case versus snow brothers the snow brothers as appeared in evidence who were both miners had purchased from an old mr case what was then called a prairie team consisting of two or three yoke of oxen and prairie plough giving therefore their joint note for some two hundred dollars but when payday came refused to pay pleading the minor act the note was placed in lincoln's hands for collection the suit was called and a jury impaneled the snow brothers did not deny the note but pleaded through their counsel that they were minors and that mr case knew that they were at the time of the contract and conveyance all this was admitted by mr lincoln with his peculiar phrase yes gentlemen i reckon that's so the minor act was read and its validity admitted in the same manner the counsel of the defendants were permitted without question to state all these things to the jury and to show by the statute that these minors could not be held responsible for their contract by this time you may well suppose that i began to be uneasy what i thought this good old man who confided in these boys to be wronged in this way and even his counsel mr lincoln to submit in silence i looked at the court judge treat but could read nothing in his calm and dignified demeanor just then mr lincoln slowly got up and in his strange half-erect attitude and clear quiet accent began gentlemen of the jury are you willing to allow these boys to begin life with this shame and disgrace attached to their character if you are i am not the best judge of human character that ever wrote has left these immortal words for all of us to ponder good name in man or woman dear my lord is the immediate jewel of their souls who steals my purse steals trash tis something nothing twas mine tis his and has been slave to thousands but he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed then rising to his full height and looking upon the defendants with the compassion of a brother his long right arm extended toward the opposing counsel he continued gentlemen of the jury these poor innocent boys would never have attempted 
this low villainy had it not been for the advice of these lawyers then for a few moments he showed how even the noble science of law may be prostituted with a scathing rebuke to those who thus belittle their profession he concluded and now gentlemen you have it in your power to set these boys right before the world he pled for the young men only i think he did not mention his client's name the jury without leaving their seats decided that the defendants must pay the debt and the latter after hearing lincoln were as willing to pay it as the jury were determined they should i think the entire argument lasted not above five minutes appendix lincoln's fellow lawyers among lincoln's colleagues at the springfield bar after his re-entry into politics in eighteen fifty four and until his elevation to the presidency were john t stewart stephen t logan john a mcclernand benjamin s edwards david logan e b herndon w j ferguson james h matheny c c brown n m broadwell charles w keys john e rosette s t zane j c conkling shelby m cullum and g m shutt there were others notably john m palmer and richard j oglesby who came in occasionally from other counties and tried suits with and against us but they never became members of our bar strictly speaking till after the war had closed appendix the truce with douglas testimony of irwin a statement by b f irwin february eighth eighteen sixty six the conversation took place in the office of lincoln and herndon in the presence of p l harrison william h herndon pascal enos and myself it originated in this way after the debate at springfield on the fourth and fifth of october eighteen fifty four william jane john cassidy pascal enos the writer and others whose names i do not now remember filled out and signed a written request to lincoln to follow douglas until he ran him into his hole or made him halloo enough and that day lincoln was giving in his report he said that the next morning after the peoria debate douglas came to him and flattered him that he knew more on the question of territorial organization in this government than all the senate of the united states and called his mind to the trouble the latter had given him he added that lincoln had already given him more trouble than all the opposition in the senate then proposed to lincoln that he lincoln would go home and not follow him he douglas would go to no more of his appointments would make no more speeches and would go home and remain silent during the rest of the campaign lincoln did not make another speech till after his election appendix the bloomington convention following is a copy of the call to select delegates to the bloomington convention held may twenty ninth eighteen fifty six when the republican party in illinois came into existence it will be remembered that i signed lincoln's name under instructions from him by telegraph the original document i gave several years ago to a friend in boston massachusetts we the undersigned citizens of sangamon county 
who are opposed to the repeal of the missouri compromise and the present administration and who are in favor of restoring to the general government the policy of washington and jefferson would suggest the propriety of a county convention to be held in the city of springfield on saturday the twenty fourth day of may at two o'clock p m to appoint delegates to the bloomington convention a lincoln w h herndon and others the decided stand lincoln took in this instance and his speech in the convention undoubtedly paved the way for his leadership in the republican party appendix an office discussion lincoln's idea of war one morning in eighteen fifty nine lincoln and i impressed with the probability of war between the two sections of the country were discussing the subject in the office the position taken by the advocates of state sovereignty remarked lincoln always reminds me of the fellow who contended that the proper place for the big kettle was inside the little one to me war seemed inevitable but when i came to view the matter squarely i feared a difficulty the north would have in controlling the various classes of people and shades of sentiment so as to make them an effective force in case of war i feared the lack of some great head and heart to lead us onward lincoln had great confidence in the masses believing that when they were brought face to face with the reality of the conflict all differences would disappear and that they would be merged into one to illustrate his idea he made use of this figure go to the river bank with a coarse sieve and fill it with gravel after a vigorous shaking you will observe that the small pebbles and sand have sunk from view and fallen to the ground the next larger in size unable to slip between the wires will still be found within the sieve by thorough and repeated shakings you will find that of the pebbles still left in the sieve the largest ones will have risen to the top now he continued if as you say war is inevitable and will shake the country from centre to circumference you will find that the little men will fall out of view in the shaking the masses will rest on some solid foundation and the big men will have climbed to the top of these latter one greater than all the rest will leap forth armed and equipped the people's leader in the conflict little did i realize the strength of the masses when united and fighting for a common purpose and much less did i dream that the great leader soon to be tried was at that very moment touching my elbow appendix lincoln and the know-nothings among other things used against lincoln in the campaign of eighteen sixty was the charge that he had been a member of a know-nothing lodge when the charge was laid at his door he wrote the following letter to one of his confidential political friends i copy from the original manuscript springfield illinois july twenty first eighteen sixty hon a jonas my dear sir yours of the twentieth is received i suppose as good or even better men than i have been in american or know-nothing lodges but in point of fact i never was in one at quincy or elsewhere i was never in quincy but one day and two nights while know-nothing lodges were in existence and you were with me that day and both those nights i had never been there before in my life 
and never afterwards till the joint debate with douglas in eighteen fifty eight it was in eighteen fifty four when i spoke in some hall there and after the speaking you with others took me to an oyster saloon passed an hour there and you walked with me to and parted with me at the quincy house quite late at night i left by stage for naples before daylight in the morning having come in by the same route after dark the evening previous to the speaking when i found you waiting at the quincy house to meet me a few days after i was there richardson as i understood started the same story about my having been in a know-nothing lodge when i heard of the charge as i did soon after i taxed my recollection for some incident which could have suggested it and i remembered that on parting with you the last night i went to the office of the hotel to take my stage passage for the morning was told that no stage office for that line was kept there and that i must see the driver before retiring to ensure his calling for me in the morning and a servant was sent with me to find the driver who after taking me a square or two stopped me and stepped perhaps a dozen steps farther and in my hearing called to some one who answered him apparently from the upper part of the building and promised to call with the stage for me at the quincy house i returned and went to bed and before day the stage called and took me this is all that i never was in a know-nothing lodge in quincy i should expect could be easily proved by respectable men who were always in the lodges and never saw me there an affidavit of one or two such would put the matter at rest and now a word of caution our adversaries think they can gain a point if they could force me to openly deny the charge by which some degree of offence could be given to the americans for this reason it must not publicly appear that i am paying any attention to the charge yours truly a lincoln appendix lincoln's views on the rights of suffrage at one time while holding the office of attorney for the city of springfield i had a case in the supreme court which involved the validity or constitutionality of a law regulating the matter of voting although a city case it really abridged the right of suffrage being lincoln's partner i wanted him to assist me in arguing the questions involved he declined to do so saying i am opposed to the limitation or lessening of the right of suffrage if anything i am in favor of its extension or enlargement i want to lift men up to broaden rather than contract their privileges appendix the burial of the assassin booth taken from the manuscript of l b baker late lieutenant and a q m first d c cavalry upon reaching washington with the body of booth having come up the potomac it was at once removed from the tugboat to a gunboat that lay at the dock of the navy yard where it remained about thirty-six hours it was there examined by the surgeon general and staff and other officers and identified by half a score of persons who had known him well toward evening of the second day general l c baker then chief of the detective bureau of the war department received orders from secretary of war stanton to dispose of the body stanton said put it where it will not be disturbed until gabriel blows his last trumpet 
i was ordered to assist him the body was placed in a rowboat and taking with us one trusty man to manage the boat we quietly floated down the river crowds of people all along the shore were watching us for a blind we took with us a heavy ball and chain and it was soon going from lip to lip that we were about to sink the body in the potomac darkness soon came on completely concealing our movements and under its cover we pulled slowly back to the old penitentiary which during the war was used as an arsenal the body was then lifted from the boat and carried through a door opening on the river front under the stone floor of what had been a prison cell a shallow grave was dug and the body with the united states blanket for a winding sheet was there interred there also it remained till booth's accomplices were hanged it was then taken up and buried with his companions in crime i have since learned that the remains were again disinterred and given to his friends and that they now rest in the family burial place in baltimore maryland appendix a tribute to lincoln by a colleague at the bar from a speech by the hon lawrence weldon at a bar meeting held in the united states court at springfield illinois in june eighteen sixty five the weird and melancholy association of eloquence and poetry had a strong fascination for mr lincoln's mind tasteful composition either of prose or poetry which faithfully contrasted the realities of eternity with the unstable and fickle fortunes of time made a strong impression on his mind in the indulgence of this melancholy taste it is related of him that the poem immortality he knew by rote and appreciated very highly he had a strange liking for the verses and they bear a just resemblance to his fortune mr lincoln at the time of his assassination was encircled by a halo of immortal glory as had never before graced the brow of mortal man he had driven treason from its capital city had slept in the palace of its once proud and defiant but now vanquished leader and had saved his country and its accrued glories of three-quarters of a century from destruction he rode not with the haughty and imperious brow of an ancient conqueror but with the placid complacency of a pure patriot through the streets of the political babylon of modern times he had ridden over battlefields immortal in history when in power at least he was the leader having assured the misguided citizens of the south that he meant them no harm beyond a determination to maintain the government he returned buoyant with hope to the executive mansion where for four long years he had been held as it were a prisoner weary with the stories of state he goes to seek the relaxation of amusement at the theatre sees the gay crowd as he passes in is cheered and graciously smiled upon by fair women and brave men beholds the gorgeous paraphernalia of the stage the brilliantly lighted scene the arched ceiling with its grotesque and inimitable figuring to heighten the effect and make the occasion one of unalloyed pleasure the hearts of the people beat in unison with his over a redeemed and ransomed land a pause in the play a faint pistol shot is heard no one knows its significance save the hellish few who are in the plot a wild shriek such as murder rings from the heart of woman follows 
the proud form of mr lincoln has sunk in death the scene is changed to a wild confusion such as no poet can describe no painter delineate well might the murder have said and oft repeated tis the wink of an eye tis the draught of a breath from the blossom of health to the paleness of death from the gilded saloon to the bier and the shroud oh why should the spirit of mortal be proud end of section thirty five recorded by mary schneider